Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Never Seen It. This is a podcast where we watch movies that we haven't seen yet. Today, I am your host. My name is Betsy, and with me, as always, is Trent. Hello, host Betsy. I am your host today because I have seen today's movie, and Trent has not. That's right, we are watching from 1995, Empire Records. Trent, is there any particular reason that you have never seen Empire Records? No, not really. Like, Empire Records, to me, is one of these movies that gets blended in with the 90s, and one of them that I always, always mix it up with is High Fidelity. I can on the surface understand that because they both have a common setting. Yeah. But other than that, I will assure you they have extremely I, little yeah, in common. I know that the plot is completely different. I know the actors are completely different. And like Empire Records itself is a movie that I don't really know any, anything about other than I've seen the poster a million times. And it's Liv Tyler amongst a whole lot of other people that I do not recognize. I will tell you, there's at least one person you definitely will recognize. I'm sure, because again, it's the mid-90s and a lot of these people did come out in you know later in life and became a star. Yes, and it's somebody who's on the poster, but you might not recognize them because it's that thing of, they weren't famous yet. Yeah. It was coming very soon, but they were not okay. famous when this movie came out. All right. So before we started recording, you actually had to go and watch a trailer because that is how mm -hmm. little you actually know about this movie. Yeah. And again, I think it's just, I know the name of the movie and I know it is surrounding a record store. Now, of course, back in the 90s, record stores were their own kind of thing. Like you still were able to buy records and tapes and this is where cds really started to become a lot more popular and they were pushing out like the old old records now betsy and i actually have a store in this city that has been there since we were kids right and it's it's an independent store yeah so this is a very 90s thing that could still exist before the you know the rise and fall of what like borders and places like that sure. yeah like suncoast video suncoast yeah, yeah like all the chains that that, that have uh, basically died off i don't know if there's any of those stores like maybe a, a couple of like independently owned and operated ones right but the one that betsy and i grew up with they like buy and sell used music would it whether it be like cds or records or tapes or whatever they also do movies they do video games and in recent years they've gotten into like fucking board games and like other collectible things so let me just make that comparison then so you understand locally what that is and there is a little bit of a let's call it a cult around it the people okay. who work there, there's yeah. a very certain type. Yeah. There's a very certain vibe. I think I know where you're going with this, but okay. So, so put that mindset in your brain. Okay. And that should give you kind of an idea of what kind of movie this is going to be. Okay. But you just have to backtrack it to 1995. Yeah, I, I have to couch it in 95 and the people that are going to be in it, the kinds of like issues and problems that they're going to be dealing with. And based on what you're telling me, maybe they're going to like sell the store or they're going to close the store or something is going to happen with the store to get all these people out on the street. Well, let's see. We're going to go now. And watch Empire Records, and we'll be right back. To quote the great 90s band, The Gin Blossoms, I'll just figure everything is cool until I hear it from you. And by that, Trent, I mean, what did you think <laughs> of Empire Records? Man, that took me back. If this movie is nothing else, it is a time capsule. If we had been doing the Decade series for 1995 this year, mm -hmm. this would probably have been the only rational choice. You're not wrong. And by that, by taking me back, I mean not necessarily to 1995, because in 95, I was 10 slash 11. So I don't really remember all that much, especially not about the culture. The thing that took me back was working at a shitty job with all my friends 
and I didn't care that it was a shitty job and or I got sh- or I got shitty pay. I was there with my friends to hang out and have a good time. This could be applied to any number of professions yeah. that one has when they're like 17, 18 years old. But it's a perfect encapsulation of the no responsibilities, no frills kind of a job. I mean, I fucking worked at Kmart and I met some of my best friends at Kmart. Who you're you still know, friends with. Some of them I'm still friends with today. So, fuck, man. I I love the setting here. I love the, the vibes that everybody's kind of going for. And... As far as like outside of that, the movie is fine. I, I enjoyed myself, but I think the the thing that really sticks with me here is the feeling that I had back when I was in high school and soon after, and just the the the, the feelings and the thoughts and everything else that I was going through at the time. It all came flooding back to me. Yeah, this movie bombed at the box office. I'm sure it did. It was an it made no money, and this is the quintessential cult classic from this time frame. I suppose. Because of those feelings. I think that's why it resonates with people is everybody at one time or another had some crummy little job Mm -hmm. that they just loved. And you don't get to have a job like this one anymore. Like this is something that is lost to time. People watching this now who are under the age of like 20 have never probably even been in a store like this because so many of them have gone the way of the dodo. And you can't just go to a record store and look around. An independent record store is an absolute novelty now. It is. And they're always magical. They are like filthy, (laughs) disgusting places. Anytime Betsy and I are in a new town, new city, whatever, we try to look up to see if they have one like this. And on occasion, we will find a, a gem that just has a bunch of really old stuff like we found a like a used game store where the owner proprietor guy would just talk our ear off oh we where, were in there for like that? 40 minutes i don't even remember it was one of the times we were out of town last year yeah but he had all sorts of different classic stuff that i recognize and maybe a lot of other people wouldn't i mean i'm from that era so i'm gonna remember a lot of that old stuff but the one thing that i wish you know, talking about old stuff and the things that we actually go go and seek out. The one thing that I wish that this movie had more of is talk about music. Because this is a record store. They're playing a lot of music. They're dancing to a lot of music. But it's not until the mid credit scene, which, by the way, there's a mid credit scene. It's not until then that they actually start talking about music. Literally, like, this is a band I like. And no, yeah. you're wrong and here's why. Right. And they're kind of making fun of like popular music of the time with this guy named Rex who is like a fucking like Robert Palmer uh, ripoff. He's an 80s washed up pop singer, yeah. rock singer. Yeah. I don't know. He's he's, he's past make, his prime. Yeah, he's past his prime. He's doing a uh, an in-store appearance for his latest album and it's just a bunch of old women who want to come and meet him. And he knows that this place is kind of a shithole. He's just like, oh my god, what have I gotten myself into that I've been reduced to this? Right. But there are people there who are young and excited for him to be there, like Liv Tyler's character. Sure. The whole movie, they're just like, it's Rex Manning Day. Today, not today, not on Rex Manning Day. (laughs) Right, it has a different meaning for her, which, hey, outside of the movie... Is a very strange thing for her to for her of all people to be uh, obsessed with a uh, an aging rock star. Well, it gets even weirder when you consider the fact that there was the guy who wasn't a very critical part of this. There's so many employees that just keep showing up and clocking in, right? Because apparently this store is so popular they need like nine employees on a single day i mean yeah yeah that's 1995 talk for you you would never get that now you could do it with like two dudes on your busiest day sure but that guy who showed up and was in the rock band at the end that would at the time was Liv tyler's stepfather he was married to her mother that Um, actor what (laughs) what uh, yeah, he's not that much older than Liv Tyler. Jesus. And and her mom and him were married. How does that happen? And, you know, rock star life, her mom's a model. You marry a couple of times. You don't get married Jeez. and you have babies and you don't tell their daughter until how they're old, 10 who their dad is. How old was Liv Tyler at the time? I don't honestly know. Like, early 20s, probably. Yeah. 
Late teens, early 20s. This was one of her first movies. I don't think this was her first one. No, but I think it was, it was her second movie. But at the, by this time, she was already appearing in the Aerosmith music videos. Yeah, which she is, was. Is, which is a weird thing in and of itself. Her and Alicia Silverstone owe a lot of their career to Aerosmith. To three music videos. Right. Go figure. Yeah, this is the time that you were getting people like Liv Tyler and Ethan Embry and... Renee Zellweger right. and Robin Tunney. Like all of these people in the next two years would make probably the biggest movie of their career. I suppose. In, within two to three years. I suppose. So like Robin Tunney, either right after, right before, or at this, it was around the same time that she was making this. She's the one who shaved her head. Yeah, she's Deb. She's Deb. She was also making The Craft, which we haven't watched yet. Oh, uh-huh, okay. But... She wears a wig in the craft because she shaved her head in this movie. Yeah, because that looked very, very real, and I'm sure it was. Because it was. And then she showed up on the set of the craft, and they're like, ah, yes, um, (laughs) wig for you. And there are times in that movie it looks great, and there are times where it just looks like a wig. Yeah, I want to watch the craft. Oh, we will. It's it's going to happen. We will. (laughs) (laughs) And like, yeah, I had no idea Renee Zellweger was in this. I don't think I've seen a Renee Zellweger movie. We'd have to run down the list, but I know the ones that I've rattled off to you, you've never watched. No, I don't think I have. And this is, again, about a year before mm-hmm. we had She's very Jerry Maguire. She's very young, Her yeah. big break was Jerry Maguire. Okay, I have seen Jerry Maguire. Okay, well, there you go then. Yeah, okay. But yeah, this predates that. So this is one I actually did not see this movie in particular until I... After I was out of college, like 10 years or something ago was the first time I ever watched this movie. I have a friend who I used to work with who loves this movie. And she found it shocking that I, of all people, (laughs) who loves movies, loves music, that I wouldn't have seen this. And then I watched it and was like, okay, I get it. Yeah, and I totally get it too. Like, there is a following behind this movie, I'm sure, where it is their awakening into maybe even this culture. Like... We were talking in the intro about the fact that we have a local record store much like this where they buy and sell used media. And here it's new media exclusively because that yeah. was the kind of store you could run in 95. It's the only place that you could buy new music at the time. You couldn't do it online. Amazon right. didn't exist. No, no. One, Most people didn't have the internet. Right. And the people who did, uh, Napster and all those other services, did not exist yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. But there is a air about these stores there's an air about these the employees who work at these stores i asked when i was in high school or soon after i was in high school i asked somebody at one of these stores if i could get a job or like if i can get an application they were not hiring they never hire because the people who work there are extremely tight the people who work there some of them have been working there since before i was in high school Yep, the entire length of this store. I think this store in town opened roughly the same year as this movie. Yeah, I think it was like somewhere between 95 and 97 is when that place opened. And it's like the same handful of people Mm -hmm. at both locations. Yeah. Year after year, I don't think I've ever gone in and not seen the same people working there. And, And this place has like a culture much like Empire Records does where they're kind of like local celebrities, but nobody really knows their name. Like you, you recognize the guys who work at the at the our local store. But if I saw them out on the street, I think I would freak out because I don't think I've ever seen them outside of those walls. Exactly, they only exist to me <laughs> in that facility. Yeah, and like they have the um the yearly thing, or at least it used to be a thing where a lot of the guys there are really good at growing beards and they were into beards before before beards were cool. Yeah, there's a joke about beards. Yeah. Like, that's a whole thing. That's part of the culture of this store. It is store. part of the culture of the store. In fact, all the way to the fact that they give out punch cards. Like, when you buy a thing, you get a punch on your card, you save up five punches or ten punches or whatever it is, you get a discount on your next purchase. Down to the fact where the punch card turned into a stamp, but the stamp is a guy with a beard. Yeah. Yeah, that is ingrained into that store. And a couple of times for, I guess, a charity thing, the guys, during their half-off sale that they have once a year, 
they shave off half of the beard. Well, they wouldn't do the whole beard. Those are precious commodities, <laughs> Literally half of their face. It's not just like, okay, trim it up halfway. Oh, no, it's like left or right side of your face. And these are dudes with serious beards. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I cannot grow a beard like that. <laughs> no, but enough about beards. <laughs> so that's why I expressed that to you in the intro was yeah. that is the kind of place that is. That yeah. is the kind of place Empire Records is where they love it so much. Yeah. They want to be there on their days off. Mm-hmm. Liv Tyler shows up in the morning and is doing her homework just right. because she, her boss says, you don't have to be here till later this afternoon. Mm-hmm. And she says, I know. Yeah. It's the camaraderie that all of these people have where they have each other's backs, even in their darkest hour, like Deb. Deb shows up. She had a really rotten night because she just tried to kill herself, got out of the hospital. She comes in, goes directly to the bathroom, shaves her head, comes out, and clocks in. Where everybody around her who sees this happen are very concerned, but they check up on her and they find out, okay, she's here. She's here. Let's let her do her thing. If she wants to talk, she will. She'll be okay. Like, the fact is, she made it this far. Right. And she does eventually, and they all at the same time kind of open up about how nobody in this group is perfect. Everybody is carrying their own version of baggage. Yeah. And, like, the Deb thing is, like, she says during the little fake funeral that they have for her, which is a great touch. (laughs) She says, I just didn't want to feel invisible anymore. And that's that's a really deep feeling. Which is interesting coming from her because when you look at her on the surface, she looks like the one that would be the cool girl that everyone would want right. to to be friends with. Right. Or like, oh my gosh, she's so cool. But no, she's the freak. Back in, she's the opposite of cool as far as her circle is concerned. Back in 95, she would be the edgy girl where nobody would want to be friends with her. And like, even in the dynamic of this store, all of the girls are kind of catty toward each other. They, and, and they that's, sort of hate each other. Yeah, and like that doesn't really vibe with how things are right now. Where, again, she would be the cool one. But by the end of the movie, they all mend their fences and yeah. they're friends again because they have a common goal right. by the end of the movie. And even Joe like goes to her when she's in the, one of the listening booths to say, hey, you, you can talk to me, you know. Like, we're friends. This is cool. And... She appreciates that, and she says, hey, I feel a lot better, but she says it to herself. Well, at first, what she says is, how are you going to fix me? And he says, that's not what I mean. Right. You know, I don't I don't have that capacity. But then he just says, just so you know, you're doing a good job. Right. That's the thing. Like, he sees her and acknowledges that what she's doing in her capacity at Empire Records, yeah. he's happy with. And it's not even a matter of, hey, the job. You're doing a good job job. It's more... Hey, I know what you're going through. I know what sucks, but you're getting through it. You're doing a good job at getting through it. Yeah, I see you. Yeah. Just that's all she wanted mm-hmm. was to be seen. And that's that it's just an incredible moment for a movie like this in a time in which it came out where you might not even want to try to broach the topic of suicide amongst people who might be going through some shit. That's an important thing. Well, you also have somebody who's doing speed. Like, right. she's the golden child. Right. She's trying to get good grades and get into Harvard University. Mm-hmm. But her big secret is she has to take speed to study. Yeah, and Gina calls her out for it saying, hey, you know what? You're you're supposed to be this uh, prissy little girl who is going to be the, the, the perfect encapsulation of what it is to be a woman. Well, you're doing it because you're cheating. And you've got other people in this with everybody, like I said, has their own problem. Yeah. Uh, Gina's whole thing is she kind of gets slut shamed by Liv right, Tyler. Right. Because Corey wants to have her first time be with Rex Manning because she decides she's going to throw herself at this rock star. Yeah. And when she does it, she actually is the good girl and she freaks out and she leaves. Mm-hmm. And then in her embarrassment calls Gina out and kind of just diverts all that anger towards her. Right. And they have a fight. And then Gina goes and does the thing that she knows will piss Corey off, which Mm -hmm. is she sleeps with Rex Manning. Right. She fucks him in the comfy room. Right. And Corey wants to be this confident, brave person that is like owns her sexuality or owns her, her destiny, let's say. 
but she's still a scared little girl who has to use drugs in order to get by. Yeah, she wants to be like Gina and Gina wants to be like her. Yeah. And they all resolve those differences by the end of the movie. And really, they should be friends. They should be. And even with the dynamic with Deb, because even she, they could be friends with. They just have decided to hate each other. Right. Because they can. Like the thing with Deb and Gina at the cash register where they're kind of jabbing each other. Repartee. Yeah, like their their, uh, back and forth was was pretty interesting. Saying, hey, you get smarter as your skirt gets shorter. Hey, you get smarter as your hair gets shorter. So this is a great look for you. Right. But yeah, the catalyst that kind of brings all of this to a head is like you said, they have a fake funeral for Deb. Yeah. Where they're like, okay, well, if she wants to be dead, let's have a funeral and everybody can say what they really think about her. They have their parting words. And instead, and that's how she can accept other people's advice and wisdom she doesn't want to hear it otherwise the rest of the movie she's like don't don't talk to me like leave me alone right but when she's put in that position where they're gonna say what they're thinking and she has to listen to it and deb has to stay there silent because you're dead you you cannot respond to this and at first she's kind of like saying oh bullshit you don't actually think that and Liv tyler says no 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 you're dead you gotta you gotta sit back down And everybody starts to say their opinion about her to say, hey, I'm going to miss her or whatever. And she's finally hearing, oh, these people I work with are actually my friends. Even though I keep them at arm's length, they do think about me. They do have opinions about me. They don't hate me. They actually care. They do care. We might not be best friends, but we care. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you a story about this because this is where my brain went. Oh, no. My senior year of college. There was a group of freshmen in my building that did this. One of the guys decided he wanted to have a funeral for himself just so he could hear all the nice things that people would say about him. Like in the vein of Empire Records? I don't know that it had anything to do with that in particular. (laughs) I think he just thought it was a funny idea. All right. But they went to the nines. Like they took a bunch of empty beer boxes. Because of course, college. And they built a coffin. Out of beer boxes. (laughs) Gee, I wonder how he died. And they set it on a table and he laid in the box in a suit holding flowers. (laughs) Everybody came dressed in black like they had set up an aisle with rows of chairs. And people took turns getting up and saying a few words about their friend who was now departed. (laughs) But they took it completely seriously. However, I have seen pictures from this event and there were a lot of people there. And there's photos of him giggling inside the box. Of course, you're not not gonna laugh. So he's he is alive and well, and it's a very morbid sort of thing. But also, who wouldn't want to hear all of those yeah. things? People don't tell their friends often enough how much they actually admire them and yeah. the reasons they do. Yes. And it is the most awkward, uncomfortable situation for some people to accept praise. Yep. But when you are put in a situation like that, where you have to be quiet because you're dead. Mm-hmm but we're going to say it now and you have to hear it. It will do so many wonders for your own self-esteem. It might. It might. Depends on who your friends are, I guess. Well, most people aren't going to say that son of a bitch. I hated that man. (laughs) (laughs) Let me speak my truth. Motherfucker. He owed me 20 bucks. (laughs) (laughs) No, most people aren't going to do that. They're going to say the true nice things that are inside their heart about their friends. Yeah, and that's what they they say about funerals. The funeral isn't for the dead. The funeral is for the living. Indeed it is. All right. Uh, Well, one thing we haven't touched on yet, apart from the fact that you would have liked them to talk about music, Mm -hmm. there is no lack of music in this movie. Yeah, like, like b- b- going back to what we said about the, the place in town here, they are always playing just their style of eclectic music for the customers. For the masses. For the masses. And I like at the beginning of this movie where they kind of draw straws, but in this case, they're drawing M&Ms. Yep, who's got the matching M&M? <laughs> Whoever has the brown one gets to choose the music to start the, to start the day. And it's Ethan Embry who chooses something shitty and immediately gets veto. (laughs) Yeah, you have veto power and you only get to do it once per day, I guess. Oh, and this group would be the ultimate set of music snobs because they would just be like, that is some shit. I'm turning that off. It is too early in the day for that crap. Right. You're turning off the customers. Well, and one of the guys, AJ, actually, like when he exercises his veto, Mm -hmm. 
takes out his cigarette lighter yep. and burns the CD. Again, I'm never going to hear that again. An act that people now maybe wouldn't understand. Like, why that that would right. be relevant. Right. Why it would destroy it? Sure. Yeah, it would melt the damn disc. Yep. Even though it just looks like a little burnt. That thing is ruined. It's not going to play now. That is how much he hated that album. <laughs> but throughout the movie, they've always got something playing overhead. They've got a ton of stuff that's just sort of in the background. And it's things like Gin Blossoms. Yeah. You've got Guar shows up here. A very 90s alternate. What do you, what are they, a I metal band? I have no idea how you describe Guar. They are a bunch of dudes in costumes who play really angry music. Yeah, like the heaviest of heavy metal. And I don't even know if that is a proper description. <laughs> just look up Guar sometime. But apparently oh, yeah. that scene where Mark shows up on stage stage with them was filmed at an actual Guar concert. I'm sure it was. That is genuinely what they look like. They are head to toe in costume Mm -hmm. and they have crazy sets. I have had some friends who have seen Guar and they said it is the wildest, weirdest experience you will ever have, but it's amazing. Like think about Kiss and everybody in in Kiss who in their makeup and like Gene Simmons is is spitting blood on, on on the crowd. Take that but like 10 times weirder. 10 times weirder. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I think of Guar. And none of the songs are something you can like sing a, a fun hook no, to. No, no. <laughs> the, the music is just fodder for the camp of it all. Yep. There's also uh, like what uh, Dire Straits shows up yep. in this. Yep. Uh, they play the Cranberries. There's a couple of Cranberry songs. They talk about Henry Rollins, which one of one of the songs they played was actually by Suicidal Tendencies, which the guy, I, I guess, I don't really know anything about that band, but the guy who's singing in that band sounds a whole lot like Henry Rollins. It's angry punk music. It is. And by the end of the movie, when they're doing the mid, mid-credits conversation, they, they talk about Primus and Henry Rollins and the misfits and that's the kind of thing that I wanted I wanted to see in this movie of just like, them like putting records away putting CDs away and just saying oh man you think about you, you listen to that or man we just got this new Gin Blossom CD man they're they're all pussies or whatever the fuck I don't know listen I think the reason this movie maybe works more is because they don't go there you would just think all of these people were really pretentious now I'm gonna tell you from experience people who work in music stores oh, yeah. are incredibly pretentious yeah, record store employees are extremely pretentious when it comes to their music taste. You said you get this movie and High Fidelity mixed up. Uh-huh. I'm going to tell you right now, if we watch High Fidelity, those are the most pretentious record store people you will ever see in a movie. <laughs> I'm not going to get started about High Fidelity because John Cusack is in it and I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I mean. You asked, like, how are these movies similar or different? That is a main difference. In that movie, they talk about music. They talk about music and if you come in and your opinion is different from them, mm-hmm. they will tell you to your face that you suck and your music taste sucks and your daughter's music taste sucks. <laughs> she doesn't want that record because you all... T- no, I'm going to help you and give you something better. All right. So they kind of cut that from Empire Records. These people are more into... What's with today today? And right. they're having like times with their friends and having little one-liners and, you know, stopping shoplifters. And then they just sit the shoplifter down on the couch and they call him Warren all day because he introduces himself as Warren Beatty. And then seems to forget he did that and then wonders why they're all continuously calling him Warren. That is the kind of thing that our local record store would do. Like you have a nickname. That's your name now. I don't care what your your given name is. That's your name. But yeah, the whole movie is just kind of this series of vignettes. So it starts with Lucas being given the responsibility for the first time of closing the store. And he's told, this is a great responsibility. And I was told three rules. And he immediately breaks every single one of them. (laughs) And he fails so spectacularly that he ends up taking the deposit that is supposed to go to the bank, which $9,000 for a day That's insane business in 1995. All cash, too. All cash. So he's supposed to take it to the bank, and instead he, in the drawer, discovers that they are turning the independent record store into a corporate location. It is going to be Music Town. Right. And he decides to take it upon himself to save the record store, and he takes the money to Atlantic City, 
and he loses it all. Well, first he wins. He does. Well, it's it's this <laughs> funny sequence of him walking through the casino and being like, he pulls the lever on a slot machine and the woman wins and she goes, money. <laughs> that was weird. It was very weird. And then there's somebody playing roulette and he goes, black 22. Yeah, it's going to be black 22 after it's already on the wheel. And he keeps like winning and like giving yeah. his good vibes because he knows he is like pure of heart and what he is doing right. is righteous and good he goes up to the craps table and there's a guy there who doesn't know anything about craps holding dice and saying, i need to like throw these dice or something and it's like no 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 professional coming through here let me throw my dice i'm gonna put nine grand cash on the table and i'm gonna throw it and i get seven the first time say hey everybody i just won nine grand he doubled his money yeah. with one roll. And so he thinks he's invincible. He's like, no, I have $18,000, but I'm going to save the store. Yeah, not only am I going to double my money, I'm going to make sure that all the employees, all my friends stay employed and that we never have to worry about money again. Then he loses it all. Yeah, his... his Intention is so pure. Like, I just want everything to stay the same. Yeah. I want everybody to keep their job. I don't want the store to be corporate. It's a commentary on corporate America. And they are very literal about it when they introduce Mitch, who is the guy who actually owns this store. Mitch sucks. And Joe just runs it. And Mitch hates the store. Right. He always wears a suit. He doesn't know anybody who works there. He doesn't know how to run the register. So when they all are having a party and he's left to his own devices, he is like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) He is the embodiment of everything that this group of people is against, which is why they say, damn the man. He's the man. He is the man. (laughs) So damn the man, save the empire. That is the motto of this movie. Mm -hmm. But it takes a while to get there because it starts with that. Then we kind of lose the thread entirely and it's just a series of things that happen to them throughout the day. And this is a movie where the entire movie is the course of 24 hours. You love it. Because the beginning of the movie is right after midnight, after they close... He goes to the casino, and then the end of the movie is after midnight yet again. In one full 24 hours, maybe a little bit more. I also love that by the end of the movie, Warren goes crazy and has a somehow found a gun, which is a weird right. sequence, but they're full of blanks, and they reward him by giving him a, a badge. Like He says, no one's going to hire me here. What did you ask? Did you try? And they make him an unofficial employee of Empire Records, and this somehow makes everything okay. He just wants to be a part of the of the crew. He wants to be a part of the gang, and I get that, because sure. if you look, like you said, you wanted to get a I, job at I that store. I wanted to get the job at the store, and I still do. <laughs> like, if if I didn't have a, a well-paying job right now with benefits and everything else, man, it would be so awesome if I could just work at that store and hang out with those guys. Yeah, it's not like they don't work. They are working. Every single they person. They hard. They were cleaning. They were putting things in the right places. They were organizing. Uh, Robin Tunney is doing inventory. Like she's counting things and she's doing the the books in the little listening booth. So yeah, they work. But by the end of the movie, because this incident happens with Warren, they just kind of, again doesn't really make a whole lot of sense but there's news cameras there mark goes and says we're having a get together and there's going to be music and everybody come and they're able to save the record store because the people come together and will it to be so well and even before that all of the employees come together and they pull whatever cash that they have and throw it at lucas because he was the one who fucked up he knows he fucked up but in any normal like job type job you would be fired immediately and the cops were called on you as soon as you fessed up. Oh yeah, Lucas should be in prison. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> grand theft. The fact that Joe is just like, what am I going to do with you? The right. whole movie, he could have done something, but he is just racked with indecision. Like, I could, I should, mm-hmm. but I'm not gonna. Right. Like he throttles him, which there's a whole conversation to be had there about, you know, maybe don't beat up your employees. But he also said, I deserve that. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact that everybody in this movie is like, no, he definitely deserved that. And we're all on board with it. That's a very 1995 mentality. But that's the thing, though. Joe is actually a really good boss. He is. He's an excellent boss because, you know, he's superb. He is superb. (laughs) (laughs) He could just yell at everybody. He could just fire fire the lot of people. He could quit himself, which he does by the end. But no, 
He understands. He understands that these people are trying to help to help out. They would never do anything malicious towards the store, towards him or anybody. They're all tight. They're all trying to do the right thing. Well, yeah, and he he quits. But then when they actually collect enough money right. from having this party, all of the people in the neighborhood are just like, we love Empire Records. And here, take my 20 bucks. Here, take 80 bucks. Right. Five dollars a they're, beer. They're buying some of the like artwork and like miscellaneous shit that they have up on the walls. The big cardboard cutouts and stuff. The iconic stuff from this store that's been open for fucking 40 years. Yeah, so they're buying all of that. They collect enough money and he tries to give it to Mitch and he's like, you know what? You love this place. I hate this place. I'll sell it to you. Cheap. Cheap. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's that thing where the little guy wins. So there's all of these reasons that people really like this movie. Like, you get that sort of vibe about working with your friends in shitty jobs. You get the little guy winning over corporate America. (laughs) You get this weird, weird song from Rex Manning singing, Say No More, Mon Amour. It's terrible. And they made the fucking music video, too. They sure did. <laughs> it is cheesy and silly, and to this day, people celebrate Rex Manning Day. But I'll get that in just a second. All so, right. So this movie has become a cult classic for all of these reasons, and it's such a. If it's anything, it's a Gen X movie. It is. This is one of the quintessential Gen X movies, 1995. Well, it's it's also teen years. It's also like the loser culture and the the slacker culture. I mean. A year before this, we had Clerks that came out. Reality also, Bites came out a year before this. Yeah. It's this kind of Gen X kind of an attitude where, you know what, man? Music is all I need. And screw corporate America. Yeah. Yeah, that's where it all began for them. So it totally makes sense how this movie has managed to overcome an absolute box of his failure. This movie has like, what, 31% on Rotten Tomatoes? The critics were not kind to this movie, but you know why? The critics were all middle-aged people who were- The critics are the man. They were the man. (laughs) (laughs) And it didn't matter. Like, it took a really long time for this movie to catch on. Yeah. But they did a screening of this like 10 years ago with some of the original cast and it was in one of those like outdoor things in Los Angeles and thousands of people show up mm-hmm. and they're all just freaking out over Ethan Embry and Liv Tyler and the cast is there and we love this movie and you know damn the man save the <laughs> empire and they were just like holy shit right. <laughs> like i don't think they were prepared for how big this movie is to some people it's i'm sure it has just grown in popularity for like the sentiment out there that people who work together they see some shit and they go through a whole lot of stuff. And I can relate very heavily towards a lot of that stuff where, you know what? The people who you love to bitch with are your coworkers. And some of the people that you work with are your best fucking friends because they understand exactly what you are going through. And you know what? You understand them too, because you're around them a lot more than you're even around your own family. Sometimes at that point in your life, it is the most time you've spent with anyone who isn't your family. Exactly. And when you're that young, you are you're still very like influenceable, if that's a word. <laughs> like the things that you are like discovering in your early twenties, those are the things that will stick with you. And the friends that you make when you are in your early twenties are the friends that stick with you because you go through the most stuff with them. They're with you the longest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this movie's also just endlessly quotable. Like, there's some very specific, strange dialogue, but for some reason works. Like anything out of Lucas's mouth, whenever yeah. he speaks, he's not entirely breaking the fourth wall, but he basically is. He looks at the camera like three times in this movie. Okay, at the very beginning, he doesn't look directly at it, but near the end, he absolutely does. Ethan Embry looks directly at the camera a couple yeah, of times. Yeah. There's just a few moments where it's just like, what are you doing? But the way Lucas speaks, he's just kind of waxing philosophically about life and existence. He's wearing the goddamn turtleneck. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's about to do like fucking slam poetry or whatever. (laughs) Like saying whatever is on his mind. He kind of does, though. He does. And then you've got AJ, who's, you know, gluing quarters to the floor, and he doesn't need 
to explain his art to you. <laughs> he is an artist. He is an artist. Also, Warren, why does he pick Warren Beatty? Of all the people. Of all of the actors that you could say, Warren Beatty is not one I would pick. Not for a young teenager. He's like 15. Maybe he really likes Dick Tracy. Maybe. I don't know. It was just kind of a weird thing. How did he get the gun to and blanks? Like, I understand maybe like taking your parents gun, but where do you get blanks from? There are completely elements of this movie that make no sense. And that is one of them. And why do they keep letting this kid out? I jail. It doesn't matter. That's the thing. There's so many moments in this that just don't make sense. And it goes to 11 and then we don't talk about it again. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because by the end you're like, yay, they saved the record store. Yeah. And Gina gets to like sing in the rock band like she always wanted she to. She filled her dream. AJ's going to go to art school. Right. AJ and Corey are together. They're making out on the top of the roof. Everybody's dancing together and the camera pulls out and credits. Yeah. And it's happy and fun and everyone's young and alive. I think that's really the vibe here where you're young, you're having a great time. It doesn't matter that you don't have your life all figured out by this point. You're with your friends, you're working a job, you're making money and you're having a good time. You're not miserable. All right. But to bring it back to Rex Manning Day. So they don't actually say what day this movie is taking place, what time of the year it is. We Mm -hmm. don't know. We kind of know it's roughly in the New York, New Jersey area because they go to Atlantic City. Seems like a Jersey thing. So yeah, they don't explicitly say when it takes place. However, they have since decided that Rex Manning Day is April 8th. This is the accepted date, specifically because that is the day that they found Kurt Cobain after he passed away. Oh, After he died, they found his body on April 8th. And that is, again, one of those commentaries about where the culture was and why that would be relevant to this group of people. And I don't know if that's something that was in the movie or just the fans of the movie decided it. Collectively, everyone said, you know what day it should be? It should be that day. Because for this generation, that's the day the music died. Yeah. You know, you go back to the 60s and the whole American Pie, Buddy Mm -hmm. Holly dying in a plane crash. Mm -hmm. That's that generation. And for most people in Gen X, it's when Kurt Cobain died. That was a fucking monumental moment for them. Sure. And mid-90s, you know, it was the end of grunge as far as they were concerned. The culture shifted again. It it was. It just was. But people still celebrate Rex Manning Day. They don't call it what it is because, you know, that's a really dark thought. But it's also kind of a beautiful thing that they're just like, let's honor his memory by making this the day we choose. And people will say, like, I... After I saw this movie and I knew what day it was, I would come to work and be like, happy Rex Manning Day. <laughs> it's all happening. <laughs> and I don't, it's kind of silly that it's like a washed up, eight, make believe 80s pop star. It is the opposite of what the grunge movement was, was about. But it also, by tying those two things together, it's just a happier way to remember it yeah. than for what actually well, and in you were the feeling movie, about Kirk yeah, Cobain. And in the movie, I mean, Rex is a douchebag. He's a tool. <laughs> he sucks so hard, and it's just Gen X rejecting what he stands for. Yeah, so it's a joke. Happy Rex Manning Day. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a double meaning. All right, well, Trent, do you have any other thoughts, things you wanted to talk about about Empire Records before we start wrapping this up? Uh, not about the movie. I would just like to say... The fact that the the new new ownership or the corporate uh, overlords lay down the law when it comes to, okay, this is the proper way to have your attire. You're not allowed to wear anything revealing. Uh, you're not allowed to have visible tattoos anywhere, piercings or any shit like that. I would just like to comment the fact that I really appreciate the fact that big companies have now relaxed so many of those policies across the board, not just at record stores, because record stores need to be run by people with tattoos and piercings and weird clothing. And everything. <laughs> They're the ones with the good taste. Exactly. I promise you. Exactly. I, I love the fact that we as a society have gotten to the point where, hey, you know what? That's okay. That's how people express themselves. Well, it, it's such an arbitrary, old-fashioned rule, and it didn't really bother as many people now as it used to. Right. Back in the day, it would be, you're scaring away the grandmas. Like, <laughs> by, by now, now they are the grandmas. <laughs> by now, all those, all those grandmas are dead. And now we're left with people who are actually cool. I literally worked in an arts organization for a long time. And even they had a pretty strict, like, 
let's not put piercings in our face yeah, and tattoos and stuff. The demographic of people who go to that place are the old people. But it's so funny because the people who work there and the people yep. who go to there are yep. two very different groups sometimes. Yep. Like, I don't know if you've ever met people who are artistic. Uh-huh. They tend to be quite eccentric in their appearance. They tend to accessorize. Accessories, uh, both permanent and less than permanent (laughs) and it's a great way of self-expression and you and i are really boring in that regard neither of us have piercings or tattoos or anything like that no wild hair colors but we respect the hell out of people who go down that road i admire the people who do yeah it's not i'm too chicken (laughs) i'm 38 i can't get into that shit now i mean you could i could i love the videos of like people who take their grandma when they're 90 to go and get their first tattoo because grandma decides i want to live my life to its fullest and this is something that has been on my list and i've never done it so let's do it hell yeah grandma go grandma go (laughs) but yeah you're right so many places now they don't do that anymore. They're not yeah. so concerned. Yes, there are certainly businesses where there are rules. You have to dress exactly this way. Mm-hmm. You have to have or not have this certain appearance. Mm-hmm. But there are so many other places now that are just like, we just need the help. I'm sure and part it's of so it, not important. I'm sure part of it is that they just need the help. And no, like the, the percentage of people who have tattoos and piercings and everything else is much, much higher than it was in the 90s. Yeah, don't For ju- sure. Don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. They are some of the smartest people you will ever meet if you talk to them and just treat them like people because appearance not smart, is not important. If not smart, they're certainly the most interesting people you ever talk Absolutely. to. Absolutely. Just talk to people with tattoos. They'll tell you a story about They'll how they They'll tell got you them. a story. In the Whether barely, it's true or not. Talk about the tattoos because it's a conversation starter if it's nothing else. It is. All right. Well, I think that is going to wrap things up for Empire Records. We would love to hear from you, dear listeners. Were you here when this movie came about? Is this movie important to you? Have you discovered it in your later years and you can relate like we can? Email us your thoughts, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a message via Facebook in the comment section. Send us a DM on any of the platforms we're on. We did get a couple of comments about one of our last movies, The World's End, in just that way. So we got a message on Instagram from Blake about The World's End, and he said, full disclosure, I'm not a huge fan of Wright. Uh, that being Edgar Wright, the director. Okay. I appreciate him as a cinephile more than what his movies give me. But The World's End hit me differently. Yeah, Edgar Wright is a famous cinephile. <laughs> that dude has seen so many fucking movies. Yeah, he will fucking talk your ear off about anything. He's probably seen it. Most likely. He has definitely seen more movies than you. <laughs> sure. Uh, he continues... But The World's End hit me differently. I can't explain it. Simon Pegg is wonderful, and the way the movie becomes about alcoholism and how it ruins things, they go to 12 bars, right? I.e. the 12 steps to recovery. Yeah. Anyway, just really dug everything it was doing. So yeah, I didn't even catch that. This is what we were talking about in the episode. If you Mm -hmm. haven't listened to that one yet, there are so many things in Edgar Wright's movies that are right in front of your face that you kind of miss the first time you watch it. It takes multiple viewings to get it. And the whole 12-step program never even registered for me. I mean, the fact that he is in some kind of treatment program at the very beginning of the movie makes sense that, yeah, this is his 12 steps by actually going to these these bars and drinking himself. That was wild. Like, I just completely missed that one. Uh, We also got a message from Jared, my friend Jared, who is one of the people that I will give credit to for trying to get me to watch The World's End because when he found out I hadn't seen it, he was very incensed. And then it still took me about two years to watch it. So guess who I messaged the first day I could to tell him, guess what movie we just watched? (laughs) All right, all right. So he, he made sure to listen and he sent me his thoughts on the episode. Uh, He said, I listened to the World's End episode. I'm glad you both liked it. It is definitely a film that every time I watch it, I discover more and more to it. The biggest piece I have come to put in the puzzle is that the movie is quite literally a journey through the 12 steps of recovery and is a great way of visualizing a tough road you go through to truly get sober, 
leave that arrested development, like Trent said, behind, mm-hmm. yep. and be able to start again. So yeah, he got it too. Yeah. He, he didn't get it right away, but this is something that is clearly, once you've seen it a few times, much more apparent than for us. I think we were close. Like I said, it was it's the arrested development where the alcoholism and whatever else that kept him away from moving on with his life, that's the thing that he needed to get past. He needs to go through the treatment, get beyond that, then he can start living his life. Uh, He continues, there's so many layers to the film, and I love it. Particularly Peg and Frost with their acting in their particular roles, and how they are mirror opposites of what we see in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, I did get that. If you want a guest to watch the whole trilogy and join you for a follow-up, let me know. (laughs) Maybe someday, but right now we're still only covering the movies that we haven't seen, so it's a little (laughs) tricky to find a way to work in the movies we have. Yeah, and like, we always talk about the movies we've already seen. Like, you know, last episode we talked a whole bunch about In Time. Guess what Betsy and I are doing right now? We're like halfway through (laughs) re-watching In Time. (laughs) (laughs) Why do we keep watching that crap movie? Because it's a great crap movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's so sad. Watch the crap movie and then tell us what you think about it. Talk about a movie that isn't subtle about all of its stuff. It's over the top. Its puns drive me crazy. It hits you in the head over and over again with all of its time puns. I hate it. It's not even a pun. It's just very literal. Yeah. But it's too much. So watch in time. <laughs> <laughs> That's our message. Watch That's our in message. Time. Uh, but yes, thank you to Blake and Jared for those thoughts. Yeah, thanks. And for clearly picking up on some elements of that movie that we missed. Sure. Because I appreciate when people tell us something that it's like, geez, I wish I had seen that while we were watching it because that changes the whole movie. Yeah, I love extra context. So if you know of something like that for any of our recent movies, like we just did Snowpiercer, I bet there's some stuff in there that we missed. Any movie that we've covered or any movie that you think we would enjoy, once again, that email, neverseenapod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, still Twitter to us because Twitter. It's easier to say. (laughs) It's easier to say. Just send us a message on any of those. If you want to send thoughts our way, maybe we'll read them on the show. But most of all, we would love if you go to your podcast platform of choice and rate our show five stars. Leave us a review. Those items really help grow the audience and get us in front of more people. Indeed. But that is it for Empire Records. Trent, thank you as always for coming with me on this cinematic journey. Anytime, Betsy. We've got a few more random movies here in the next couple of episodes uh, before we start a new series. So just look forward to all of those. But in the meantime, this has been Never Seen It. My name is Betsy. My name is Trent. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>